Hello, and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at Minute 70, which begins with Ripley saying, Come on, Ash, and ends with the Nostromo floating through space. And it's Friday, it's the end of the week, and once again we're joined by filmmaker and visual effects artist Bruce Brannett. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming back. Happy Friday. Thanks for spending the week with us. It's been really great. Yeah, it's been really fun. I appreciate you asking me to be here. And you're going to the Emmys tomorrow? Yes, I am going to attend the Emmys. I'm nominated for a visual effects supporting role in a television series. So we'll cross our fingers, but we're up against Walking Dead, so it's a long shot. Maybe people are tired of giving stuff to Walking Dead. You know, I felt that while I was watching their submission reel, so (laughs) if anyone's listening out there, you've already voted, so it doesn't really do any any good but i'll have to rent a tux anyway it'll be nice that'll be fun yeah very good well congratulations that's awesome thank you so this is a pretty good minute to end the week on there's uh there's some interesting character revelations and behaviors that come out of this beautiful this, this scene and it begins with ripley expressing yet again some frustration with ash because he just wiseacred off on this Kane's son <laughs> remark and she says dude you should be giving us some help here yeah she seems to be the only one that's on Ash's ass about stuff um, calling him out for what his job is and the fact that he's not really doing it he's doing things in the name of his job but not doing the specific things to help the crew all that much mm. it doesn't seem like he's really coming through at all he's able to say oh I've done this and I've done this I'm the science officer and I I need this specimen and I'll use my authority to keep this specimen on board and so on. But when it comes time to take action in the moment of danger or help them figure out this plan, he's not adding anything. He's just standing there pouting like a toddler, like we said. <laughs> yeah, and he says this weird thing about considering its nutritional requirements. Now, unless I missed something, we haven't talked about that at all. Like, we don't know what this thing eats. Does is Ash know something we don't know? Is this something he learned from the dissection of the face hugger yeah he talks a little bit about it when when ripley confronts him in the infirmary earlier he uh she wants the breakdown of what he's learned and he talks about neutrinos and blah blah blah, blah. oh so is that nutritional neutrinos i'm gonna okay maybe making I'm him wrong, a tough little son so. of a bitch i thought yeah i thought he was talking about his, his makeup right. his chemical makeup or his anatomy but yeah i guess you're right maybe but, he doesn't talk and about what that. are his nutritional requirements do we know um so far apparently Bashing someone's face in. We don't know. <laughs> we don't. We don't know he ate him. We don't know he ate Brett. We don't know that either. Yeah, we don't know anything about this thing so yeah. far. We yeah. know about the oxygen feeding, but he's feeding oxygen to Kane. But yeah, boy, yeah I we mean, don't know I, shit. Everything that he speaks about in, in his his talk about what he thinks he knows about the alien, seen through a lens of him not being an animal when he refers to it as an animal. Yeah, his performance is extraordinary. It's this interesting thing of I am pretending to be something that I'm not and it's showing badly, but I'm going to keep trying to hide it. Like, right. is he thinking I wouldn't retreat from flame, That's but what I was most say. animals do? He says, yeah. oh, all, all animals re- retreat from flame. And he's like, right? right guys? Exactly. Uh, exactly. He keeps checking in <laughs> and the, the sideways glances are, are throughout his, yeah. his speech there. He's so. going to learn a little bit something about flame eventually, though, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's, and he will not be able to retreat. He will not be able to retreat. He's <laughs> like, oh, I should have retreated. No legs coming out of this head. <laughs> not that movie. It's not that movie yet. So, yeah, so Ripley, is, she's riding him a little bit. Is this a first officer job? Basically is what I'm, was a, I would like to get to. We'll get back to the Riker, her Riker stature on the ship. 
it's really up to her to keep the crew in line, right? Like, make sure they're doing their job. So is this why she is, or is this more of the personal vendetta? Ash is a son of a bitch, and he does nothing but give me shit, and he undermined my authority once, and and a combination of that. And she's concerned about the safety of the crew. She wants input from everybody. Or does she know that Dallas is in such a fragile place right now that she better help him out? Because yeah. it does seem like she is prompting Ash to do something, which will eventually motivate Dallas to make a decision. You know, right. once the once the fire retreat idea comes up, Dallas is able to jump on that and ask Parker to rig up some incinerator units. Mm-hmm. But uh, she certainly helps get to that point. If she hadn't said anything, I, I don't know how much. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, she, oh, she seems to be making the the right decisions all along, whether it's first officer like. But I definitely think there's some antagonism there between her and Ash that is the subtext of their exchange. They're all frustrated. They all know they're cornered animals. And here's Ash, who's not an animal, just acting at things like, isn't that interesting, and making side comments. And I think it's there, she's just frustrated with that to, to drive the situation forward. Well, and as far as her motivations are concerned uh, with Dallas, what she knows about Dallas and the previous conversation they had about Ash and Dallas, uh, she's probably concerned that Dallas is is never going to quite step up and, and get Ash in line because what we sort of take from their earlier uh, uh, encounter in the corridor and Dallas's decision to defer the, uh, the keeping the facehugger on board to Ash as science officer. She probably feels a little bit like, well, Dallas is kind of, he's concerned about the company. He's concerned about this guy who, uh, his job a little bit. And he's, he's so quick to defer to his authority on scientific issues. And um, I think she probably sees that that's not the right way to be here. This is too dire to be thinking this way. I'm going to get right to the point. And tell Ash, get your ass in gear, man. We need your help right now. So I think, but that is a first officer job, I think. But it's also uh, speaking to Ripley and Dallas's relationship. So yeah, and I think we get another another hint to that when once that order is given to Parker and he says he'll go rig these things up. That's when we get that beautiful shot of Lambert and Lambert's question about who's gonna who's gonna do this, who's gonna be the one crawling through there, and. Ripley immediately steps up mm-hmm. and you wonder, does she do that out of the, you know, Riker attitude of, I don't want to put the captain in jeopardy. Does she do that because, um, Dallas has fallen apart and I don't know whether he can handle it. Uh, does she do it because I don't want anything to happen to him because I love him. And so it's just, I'm willing to step in. Uh, we do know that Lambert is not volunteering <laughs> at this point, <laughs> but Ripley sure steps up and says she's willing to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's just, she's, Here's the situation. It needs to be solved. This is the fastest way to do that. Seems to be her character all along. And I mean, they say like Indiana Jones doesn't change too much throughout the arc. Does Ripley really change? How does Ripley change other than efficiently saying, these are the rules. I need to follow them. I no, mean, that's I don't true. Know. It's a I question. Think, I think you're right. I don't, I don't think she changes at all, except that she just gets thrust into a place where she has to be, she's the hero because... Mm-hmm everybody else is is dead right yeah we never really talked about that before but what really happens the changes that happen are are around ripley they're not ripley herself she is continually asserting who she is based on the stakes changing so she doesn't waver i think that's what's great about her character is instead of her going from a she's not the han solo doesn't give a shit at first and then comes through at the end some kind of big arc she is who she is she does her job she's competent and and you know, Scorny Weaver embodies the character and it's a real fleshed out character. 
then all these circumstances change around her and she has to stay you know steady on the course mm-hmm. she's and the I rock think, yeah so that's what's great about that it's unique in that sense because we would usually get like mitch you you mentioned earlier in the week uh lambert getting on the shuttle at the end of the movie now that would have been an arc right right we would have had the terrified lambert who doesn't want to go out on the planet if she was the one who ended up being the last girl or whatever and she ends up thrusting that alien out into space and then able to take off that would have been the big arc. It makes me think about Jaws for a minute, too, asking the question, how much does Brody really change? There's an implication that he doesn't like the water, and so, yes, he's going to go out onto the water. But he doesn't change much either. And so I have kind of two thoughts. Thought number one is, is that something particular to 70s movies where the idea of the character arc, Popeye Doyle, doesn't change? Is is the idea that in the 70s movies it wasn't as big of a deal? Is this another indication of the corporatization of Hollywood and the the studio executives in the 80s and 90s coming in and being dead set on all of this business about what does the character learn? How does the character change? She's got to be afraid of cats in Act 1. Right, and get over that fear. (laughs) Well, and that's the other thing is I remember reading Sidney Lumet saying that he thought that the difference between drama and melodrama was that in drama, plot comes out of character, and in melodrama character comes out of plot Mm -hmm. and if you follow that paradigm clearly these movies we just mentioned are all melodramas they're all um plot in situation is driving the things that the characters are up to and i don't and one is not better than the other i also remember lament going on to say and i love melodrama i have nothing against melodrama i'm not using that in a pejorative fashion whatsoever but i think that the strategic trick that these filmmakers are playing is that okay if the character isn't going to go through some gigantic arc then let's keep her in the background so that when she finally emerges as taking charge which is going to happen and is beginning to happen Mm -hmm. in this scene then we do get that sense of it being dynamic Mm -hmm. because the situation is dynamic i love jaws never would say a bad thing about jaws but you mentioned this brody's fear of water that's a little bit contrived. You know, when you think about it, it's like, okay, we'll make this guy afraid of water, so he'll have to go on the water. It's great. I'm not saying it's bad in any way. It's but they don't a hang a lantern con- on it. It's she not said. a huge part there's of nothing, character. There's nothing here other than we're going to create a situation that anybody would be terrified of. We don't have to give her a phobia right. to give Ripley an arc. Right. We just, <laughs> we're on a spaceship. That's already scary. We're in space. That's scary. Now we're going to add these things and it keeps getting scarier and scarier and scarier. We don't have to contrive anything other than the plot itself. We don't have to give her that tick. Like you said, be afraid of cats in the first act. <laughs> it's not there. And that might be what pushes to, in my estimation, alien a little bit above Jaws, uh, as far as how the character arc goes, at least between the two main characters. I think the arc for her too, is the, the first half of the movie is also her suggesting courses of action that are ignored yes, or overridden. definitely. Mm-hmm. And at this point, she's now along where she's leading the course of action, whether it's her doing it or not. Like you said, with her prompting Ash to say, give us some options, that is a key moment that leads to specific things happening and them going on the offense, not very successfully right. against the alien at this point. That's true. You, what I'm talking about is circumstances changing like uh, superficial circumstances changing, like aliens being born on a ship. Um, there's also the political th- issues that she's up against. There's the woman in the workplace that she's up against here. All these things that she has to adjust to. And like I said, asserting herself as a, as a person 
in the situation is kind of that's her journey the underdog who triumphs yeah. that's the dynamic progression and right. that can be every bit as important and and satisfying as the old huge character arc you know, i which, think it's great because she doesn't change yet because of the circumstances her steady behavior is finally recognized and rises to the top where she was the same person in act one really yeah she just wasn't yeah. recognized completely as that although i think dallas recognizes that yeah you know, I think it's true. That she's completely competent. And maybe the fact that we keep that kind of steady hand with these characters adds a realism to it that we kind of need because the plot itself is not outlandish, but it's certainly not what you come across every day. So it may be that that is enough fireworks built into the construction of it that we can have these characters be more ordinary or more realistic or naturalistic in the way that they perform and behave and maybe that's why we buy this. Maybe if she had been afraid of, if we set it up as her being terrified of aliens at the beginning, it would have seemed phonier. Right. Maybe see, that's a case to be made for why aliens... That's what I was just, <laughs> I was just about to say. Not as good they a movie. Give her, they give her a phobia mm-hmm. at the beginning of aliens now. And it's well-earned, though. Androids as well. Right, yes. right. But yeah. that being said, someone was tasked with the job of making a sequel to a movie... I think they very definitely used the things that happened. They right. These are all earned. This right. isn't just making up, oh, she's scared of space. She should be scared of space. She should be concerned about the androids and not trust them. And again... All those things work, but, but it's again, just... A, and again, it's a melo, that's melodrama. But, but at the same point, from melodrama. her point of view, she says, I'm not going, and she's overridden. No, no, so she, she makes she, the decision. She says, I'm not going. She yeah, gets true. busted back into the role of underdog again. Wait, and, wait, wait. And she makes the decision to go. Now, when she finds there are people living there. But she makes the decision. She's not forced to go in True. any way. So True. it is a character choice. I want to make that clear because right. that would undermine the whole movie. If she was forced to go, right. then that movie really wouldn't have worked. I think she has to make that choice. Uh, otherwise, well, she also it's does a it totally because different movie. She's psychologically so haunted by it that she realizes it may be the only way that she can save her sanity. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So she goes for a different set of reasons than they want her to go for, but they luckily kind of... Yeah come together but uh, so you were talking about a, a room full of ordinary people on this on the nostromo here and I, I totally agree with that and placed in that is ian holmes characterization of ash and in this sequence i mean watching this scene over and over again it's it's really fascinating i mean he's like he's channeling uh jim carrey almost doing uh, uh man on the moon uh Oh, Andy Kaufman? Andy Kaufman. He's kind of doing this weird, quirky thing where he, like, steps up and literally, like, settles in as if he's, like, on an office chair descending for a second. And there's just, it's such a fascinating thing that, you know, contrasting that with Ripley almost not changing expression. Yeah. It's, it, it draws your eye to it. And, like, as a kid seeing this movie, I can't believe I wasn't tuned into this at that time. That I was like, what's with this guy? I really didn't ever question it. It's because he's so damn good. Ian Holm is so good that he could just be a weird dude. He doesn't have yeah. to be an, an alien, but he's... It's the old like joke about Donald Pleasance in Fantastic Voyage. You know, it's like, there's always going to be one, the one guy <laughs> that probably shouldn't be on this, and he's going to be that guy. I can just tell, right? Yeah, yeah. It's really, I would love to see Ridley Scott's directorial notes and conversations with him. I would just, I would, just understanding where he got him there and what Ian Holm brought to it and how he was directed into that into this performance I think would be a marvelous discussion. Well, given what we know about Ridley Scott at that point in his career, my guess is 
he pretty much just stayed out of the way. Okay. Ian Holmes, one guy I don't hear a lot about, like in commentaries and things. I can't remember. Is he on the commentary at all for the Blu-ray? I don't think so, no. Uh-huh. And then I don't remember reading stuff where he talked about where he got his motivations from or how the direct... There's things with the Yafet Koto. There's things with... You know, Harry Dean Stanton seems as though as he just showed up on the set and did whatever he does, and that yeah. was fine. So, But most of what we get, I don't hear a lot of Ridley Scott moving the pieces around. No, and the stories are that the one story that Ridley Scott would see Yafet Koto coming across the room, and he would quickly run away because mm-hmm. he didn't want to talk to Yafet Koto about what his character was going to do. Until, and he's very forthright about that. Right. And then on the set, on the day, he had some motivations there. You know, he tells her to, later on to wind her up, yep. and we'll get to that. He casts the right people. Yeah. I mean, he didn't cast right. and these schlubby actors. Man, he got some real pros. And they, I mean, they saw, obviously, they saw something in Sigourney Weaver to give her the weight of this movie as well. But everybody there had so much experience and brought so much gravitas just in who they were. Yeah. That I think that he was able to, to feel comfortable with that and just like focus on the, on the set design and all the technical stuff that he yeah. finds more interesting. Uh, was the poke directed? Well, here we're at the There's poke. There's no way. I, okay. I, I know. I can't imagine. So um, so just to say that after Ripley volunteers, Dallas does shut that down. And Dallas is going to go. And he says he's going to go. Yeah. And so he divides everybody up into teams. And then the weirdest thing happens. And if you have the Blu-ray, you can barely see it. If you have the regular DVD transfer, you can really see it. Yeah, it's funny. They... Um... Regular, the theatrical cut, you can see it very well. Once, so this is the second time Dallas has divided the crew up into teams. And this time, he has opted to put Ash and Ripley together. Now, that... One more sign that he's losing it. (laughs) That that makes you wonder, what the hell? What are you thinking? There's obviously all this tension between Ash and Ripley. And yet, when this is all said and done, for some reason, Ash just looks at Ripley and just gives her a little poke in the shoulder. Just reaches hey, right across with frame. his index finger, just blink. Yeah, you're with, so you're with weird. me, pal. It's really and, but then he weird. turns around and walks away. It's and not like, hey, we're away. together, buddy. How about a fist bump or how about a little no. finger touch? No, he bumps her and walks off. It's, it's another beautiful. It's, yeah, beautiful. it's great. It's, it's so just great. him winding her up, Mr. Passive right? aggressive. Yeah, she just wound him up. She just got on his ass. She's she's in authority over him. Forced him to assert himself into the situation. So he's going to give her a little last word kind of thing. Wordless last word. I almost you know as. As somebody myself who often is, you know, trying to pass as human among humans, <laughs> I see that in Ash. It's almost like it's almost like he's connecting with her. It's like it's you and me, and it's just his awkward way of yeah. of just saying, uh, okay, yeah. Well, I gotta disagree. Yeah. I, no, they're way past any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> he's at he's this fucking point with her. The then. He's fucking yeah. with her. Yeah. There's no. They're well, so no, far knowing past what we know even trying to pretend this. to be pr- friendly with each other. Yeah. No, he's. It was just Ian Holm, and it's totally Ian Holm. There's no way that. This was this has got to be improvised. I bet you, I wouldn't be surprised if Courtney Weaver broke up a little bit at the end of this, you know, off <laughs> off camera. But yeah, it's such a strange moment. He just keeps adding these little touches, literally and figuratively, yes, that just make him seem so bizarre and put you off because he never quite pushes it all the way to the I I am a malfunctioning robot kind of thing in yeah. any way. He's still got some, just enough human there to make you wonder what's going on, but. So we close that scene out with a two shot of Lambert and Ripley not saying anything, but that's kind of where we where we end the scene after the poke. And then we go to a shot of the Nostromo passing over frame, which ends this minute conveniently, but we probably should just quickly note 
that in the director's cut, that shot's missing. There it's is gone. there is no long shot of the Nostromo passing over camera to imply a passage of time or whatever. We jump right into that scene with the sound going and the camera dollying back and the doors closing in the in the uh, air chamber. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting. I got to be on record of it. I'm not a huge... I, I love all the design of the movie. I'm not a huge fan of the overall refinery. It's mm-hmm. kind of like I, I just... I've seen it a hundred times, and it's three mountains with with half you know half, half disc, domes underneath, half disc you know snow sleds underneath them, and I, it's kind of like it doesn't make sense to me. I'm not quite sure where the the docking part is that's pulling it, and it, just as far it's it's the one design in all of the, most of the Alien universe that I'm like, eh, it could have been something different or better, but um, you know the model shot's a model shot, and it's it's okay. It's probably not one of the better shots in the movie, but I, in seeing the director's cut where it cuts directly to, you know, the search and the chase, uh, I think that works better. And it's a particularly dynamic shot. I mean, the camera drawing back very, very quickly as the lights are flashing and everything. It's pretty good. Very classic. I mean, it's like one of the, like, the images you think of with Alien is these corridors with yeah. with the spinning lights uh, but uh and I, I would i would assume that that shot was just in the director's cut not needed because we all know we're on a spaceship yeah, yeah. you know we don't need to take a minute and refresh that we get, just got to keep keep it moving and that shot i think we've seen that shot before and so maybe that's another reason it was pulled and also reuse. maybe for 2003 the notion that you have to cut to something to imply a passage of time isn't necessary. Maybe it was just more of a 70s aesthetic. I think this is one of the few points that was, this is a good change in the director's cut because we've had this establishing shot or reestablishing shot at the exterior of the Nostroma over and over again. And it works fine. A couple of times, like earlier when they, um, well, it's not this particular shot, but when they uh, crash land on the planet, we cut to an exterior of the Nostromo landed and we need a time lapse here. Like we need to know that it's taken them a while. They had to go down to engineering. They had to figure out what was wrong to report back. In this case, we just made a plan. Let's get to it. Let's go. This is urgent. If you stop and reestablish again here, it kind of slows it down and kind of takes away the sense of urgency a little bit. So in this case, this is a good move for the director's cut. I like it. Yeah. And like you said, recycling that shot one more time, it's yeah, especially it serves no purpose of, you know, the air ducts aren't geography. Yeah. They're just a part of the ship. So there's no real even reason to even show a specific part of the ship where, you know, in Star Trek, we would, you know, do shots of going from the bridge or, you know, panning across the back of the ship or something if it went to went to the, the shuttlecraft. Right. But it's not anything specific. It's just another wide shot of the ship passing overhead. Yep. Well, that's it for me. Anything else as we end this week? I'm done. All right. You want to tell us one more time, Bruce, where people can find you on the internet? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, follow me at at Branit Effects. It's B R A N I T F X. My directorial website is Branit.com, and add BranitFX.com for my visual effects company. And you can find us at AlienMinute.com. Follow us on Twitter at AlienMinutePod or on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast. Come over to our Facebook page. Give us some of your ideas about what we're talking about. And don't forget about our Tee Public page. Go over there and buy a t-shirt maybe. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. We'll see you next week for minute number 71.